Welcome to the Expansive CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, founder of Expansive CEO and X Squared Wealth Planning. Buckle in as we explore how to create true prosperity and build a business and a life that expands beyond yourself and makes a dent in the universe. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Expansive CEO Podcast. This is Investment Friday again. I'm here with, uh, well, I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, and I'm here with the Chief Investment Officer of Juncture Wealth Strategies, Mr. Brad Haynes. How are you doing today, Brad? I'm doing great. How are you, Hannah? I am really good. I had a great day. I actually recorded another podcast this morning for someone else's podcast, so that's always fun. Um, I don't have to do any of the, uh, the other work, right? Um, yeah, good meetings, connect with clients. It was great. So good. those are, those are some of my favorite days. That's perfect. What are we, what are we looking at? It's December. It's de- today is December 7th. We're recording this on Thursday, de- December 7th. It's 5 PM. Markets were up today. Um, this will come out on, you know, Friday, December 8th. So we're a week in to December already. How's it going so far? It's actually going quite well. In fact, what's interesting is we we're I've been talking with clients as you have, and um I'm comparing the market pre-October 19th, you know, year to date through October 9th, 18th, compared to a market that is post-October 19th, and they're they're the mere opposites of each other, which mm. is wild for people to think that on one day things can flip in a 180 degree and it, but yet it has. And so talking a lot about the reasons for that and, 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 and what we can do to exploit that, to make some money over, uh, over the next couple of quarters. So tell us more about that. Cause I think that's, uh, that's really important to keep talking about because throughout this whole year, basically we've been talking about the, um, Magnificent eight or the stupendous seven, right? The the top seven or eight stocks in the S and P five hundred um, that had been just charging forward and really um, creating most of the returns that we were seeing all year. So up until October eighteenth, I think is what you're saying, because on October nineteenth, we saw a significant shift in uh, the stocks that were coming up. Right. That's exactly correct. So. Up until October 18th, the stupendous seven, the magnificent eight, however you want to term it, owned the marketplace. They per- they performed almost all, if not over, the total return of the entire market. Everything else was kind of just struggling along, barely making positive returns or slightly negative returns on average. But those eight were up so much that they actually were providing a large boost to the headline indices. So like the S&P 500, which has a concentration issue in these top eight, um, it, it was really providing them kind of a lift. Now, since October 19th, you've seen the exact opposite. So actually the S&P 500 is one of the laggards since October 19th. Why is that? Well, the market, the market is broadening out. And so... What worked pre-October 18th is now lagging post-October 19th. And what, what did not work in prior in the year is now working. And it all has to go back to 
the change in yields. Mm. Look at the change at the in the ten year U.S. Treasury yield. It peaked on October eighteenth at at five percent, and so we had have a we've had a huge run, a huge rise in the U.S. Treasury yield, um, really since April all the way through October eighteenth, from roughly a three and a half percent or a little under to a five percent yield, and then. Because of some economic data that came out, some comments from some Fed officials, all of a sudden that day, people determined, you know what, maybe the yields have gone up too much, given the disinflation we've been seeing in the economy, given the weakening, but yet still strong, but yet weakening labor market, the continued expectation for disinflation between now and the next few months and the next couple of quarters, actually. Um, and so all of a sudden yields start dropping and the expectations that the Fed will cut interest rates started going from late in 2024 all the way to now end of first quarter 2024. Some people, some investors are expecting a interest rate decrease. In fact, right now, the futures markets are saying, Hey, somewhere between one and a quarter to one and a half percent of interest rate decreases will happen in 2024. So what happens? Lower interest rates means lower interest costs for corporations, which means someone's earnings are going to start to pop up because those interest rates, those interest costs are now lower. What What areas typically do best in that type of environment? Real estate. Real estate's up 14% since that day. 14%. That's still with all of the issues with office. You know, everybody not returning to the office. So a lot of vacancies in the office space. REITs have really, really rebounded very strongly. Similarly, the Russell 2000, which represents the small cap the mid cap, the smaller companies who are more reliant upon bank financing than the large companies. So the Googles, the Microsofts, the Apples, who don't, they're not, they're not really levered. They just have tons of cash flow and they're not really that levered in terms of company a, a corporate balance sheet. You know, they've done well. But their earnings are also not going to grow kind of in a in a in a levered way if interest rates start to go down whereas small cap banks and uh and real estate will do that and so you've seen investors start to shift the money um into those areas that are very inexpensive on a relative basis uh trading at almost historic cheapness relative to large caps so those areas are really starting to pop Hmm. And so you kind of alluded to this in what you were just saying, but let's talk a little bit about inflation and and the jobs report that just came out. Fantastic. So earlier this week, we got the JOLTS survey, which is uh, job openings and layoff and turnover survey, which is essentially how many jobs are available out in, in, in the workforce, okay? Um, we've had, you know, all the way to almost 11 million jobs o- available. And the announcement 
came in much weaker than expected. Uh, I, I believe the expectation was for 9.3 million jobs would be available, and it came at 8.7, and they revised the prior month lower. So again, whenever we get these preliminary data, you know, the, the, the agency or the group responsible for putting that data together, they have a preliminary announcement, and then they always revise it as they firm up their numbers and they get more clarity and accuracy. And so that that was a big that was a big surprise on the downside, which means what? Probably a weakening labor market, even though it's coming from a very, very strong level. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that you and I talked about a lot is the job openings per unemployed worker. Right. So how many jobs are available per unemployed person? Well, we peaked out at two two times. So two jobs for every unemployed worker. Um, last month, it was one and a half. It had fallen to one and a half. And with with Tuesday's announcement, it is now 1.3 jobs for every unemployed person. Still very, very strong. I mean, the long-term average is uh, 0 0.6, 0 0.7 jobs for every unemployed worker. Um, one of the things that's also happening is you're having a lot of people come back into the workforce, mm. starting to look for jobs again. So some of that unemployment rate um, that we might get might be a little more elevated this time uh, relative to the past couple of months. Yeah, because that would that would make sense that, you know, job openings were high when there were fewer job seekers. Um, and now if more people are looking to get back into the full-time job market that that ratio is going to compress somewhat. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's going to slow down, you know, wage inflation. It's going to, it's going to, uh, tomorrow we, tomorrow, or i.e. today, if, if you're listening to this on Friday, we get the job, we get the unemployment rate. Um, and Bloomberg, Bloomberg economists believe it's going to be a 4% inflation rate, or excuse me, a 4% unemployment rate up from 3.9. So if we do that again, it's it's not a disaster. It's just telling us that, hey, we're starting to um, the, the labor market is starting to weaken somewhat. And so maybe uh, workers don't have the power to de demand higher wages at the same rate as they did over the past couple of years. And so that's a really good thing for inflation coming down, which again, allows the Federal Reserve to say, okay, maybe rates don't need to be this high, or at the very best case scenario, maybe we should drop rates a little bit, which will be very supportive of asset markets. I'm I'm just continuously um not surprised, but it's it's so fascinating to really like look at the the intricacies of how this actually works, right? That that we can see, you know, what's what's potentially coming down the pipeline with interest rates when we look at the jobs, when we, you know, pay attention to inflation. Um, it seems like a big ask, I think, to uh, to say that we would be cutting rates by one and a half percent in twenty twenty four. That seems that seems like a lot. Um, so the question that I want to pose is if we were to 
not experience, right? Because this is kind of the thing that happened this year a lot was the Fed would say one thing. They would basically say like, we're not, you know, we're, we're not cutting rates. We're probably going to raise rates. And the market would almost take that and do the opposite thing that you would expect, right? So there was like this mismatch, it seemed, of, you know, what was being said and then what was happening um, in the market. So if this is the expectation, right, or we're, we're actually seeing that kind of priced into the futures market, um, which is how these predictions kind of play out, right? We're looking at what are people betting on? That's what the futures market is. What are people betting on? Um, like a horse race in the future. Exactly right. I mean, basically. Um, so people are starting to bet more heavily on, you know, what are the odds um, that rates will come down that far? So what happens if we get to, you know, end of quarter one and then into quarter two and, and rates have stayed steady? You know, that's kind of what I'm wondering. Yeah, so that is actually a junctural strategy. That is our base case scenario is that um, interest rates are going to stay stable for a much longer period than I think people believe. I mean, the good thing is we've ha- we've disinflated from, you know, 7, 7.1% on the CPI in January of this year. And now we're down to, uh, depending on the measure you look at, three to three and a quarter percent um you know, from last month. So great job. It's come down a lot. However, that target is still way above the 2% number. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, based on some things going on, does it get down into the near the 2% target, which the Fed has said they really want to obtain? Um, So we think at Juncture that we are that, that first of all, people have gotten way too excited about lower interest rates early on. We we just don't think that's going to happen. Um, we do forecast uh, similar to the OECD. We do uh, forecast a very um, kind of a break even in, uh, economic growth through the first half of next year, um, which will will which will allow the Fed. To, to see what inflation is doing. We think they're going to be on hold. We think the economy is going to be at a break-even rate. And then we'll see the, the dynamic between inflation and interest rates. Um, and then by mid-year, we think that if if the economy has slowed to a certain extent without a some kind of credit event, then, then the Fed will probably feel comfortable starting to lower those rates a little bit. One and a half percent is an aggressive move um, in an economy that, to be honest, has been pretty decent, even at a break-even rate. It's still um, uh, much better than 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 could be expected. Now, we have the waning impacts of fiscal stimulus or the fiscal um, help through the through the primary deficit, um, and so that is kind of part of the the equation as to kind of a slowing economy, slowing slowing consumer spending because of slower wage growth, weaker job markets. Again, all really, really healthy, not necessarily a disaster, but, you know, uh, we should reaccelerate into growth at the second half of uh, next year. Mm. One uh, acronym you threw out there, OECD, 
I think is yep. what you said. Tell us what that means. Organization for the Economic. Um, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, and this is going to bother me. Uh oh. OECD. It's the it's the Organization for Economic. I got to look it up. You can and Google it. <laughs> I got to look it up. Didn't mean to put you on the spot there, but you said it. And I was like, wait, I don't know if I know that one. And if I don't know that one, then listeners don't know that one either. Uh, That's true. Um, Man, I don't know if I've ever actually known it. Um, You know, that's part of the problem with our jargon, right? We just throw out all these acronyms all the time. uh, OECD. Oh, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Wow, I did know that. Um, but again, I always call it OECD and everybody else does too. So I apologize. Yeah. But, well, yeah. Tell me, so tell us a little bit more about that, that, you know, kind of passing comment that you made with that. Well, uh, which one? That, that yeah, that you, yeah, that you believe, I mean, similar to what I just said, like one and a half percent seems, you know, pretty, uh, I'm going to say optimistic, um, to think that we would drop that far in interest rates and you said yes and you know similar to what the oecd is forecasting yeah Um, so So, what are they looking at yeah the oecd is basically forecasting for the first half of next year a slightly negative gdp growth rate for the united states and we're similar in that we're we're also in that in that uh in that camp we think that one slowing slowing labor market slowing wage growth um you have uh, a fiscal fiscal impulse or fiscal pulse uh, starting to fade in the background a little bit. You have consumer spending with the credit cards that have been run up so much. We're starting to we're going to see a weakening in that consumer spending. In fact, fourth quarter this year we should probably see a lot of that happening, um, starting to make an impact. So it'll be interesting to see how the retail the retailers, both online and brick and mortar come out with their holiday sales updates. Um, we're gonna watch that really closely because that that's gonna be a barometer of how the consumer is doing. So slower consumer spending, weaker job markets, fiscal stimulus that's coming to the background. And we've had tighter monetary policy that with its long and variable lags is starting to take an impact. And so generally it takes about two years from the time the Fed rate starts to raise raise interest rates for it to have its full impact and bite into the economy. And guess what? March of next year is that two-year period. So again, we're forecasting a slightly negative, not a massive, but quote-unquote a recessionary type uh, environment, which um, again, leading economic indicators have all indicated that we're going to be doing that our inverted yield curve for the better part of a year and a half also has indicated that we're we're probably going to go into recession but again very slight very very shallow and because it was somewhat caused by the fed's higher interest rates it can also be fixed by the fed as long as there's not a credit event that is caused due to the higher rates so one of the things that you just mentioned, um, I think goes really well into our question um, for today. So Bob, 
thank you for sending this question last week. Um, and uh, Brad wasn't able to record, but he did send this one last week. And I think it still applies today was that November was a pretty epic month. Uh, there was, uh, you know, a big upswing in the market in November and will December be bullish? And I think a lot of that depends on, like you said, those retail numbers. So what do you think? So I think I I think Bob's going to be pretty happy. I think that the equity prices are going to maintain its momentum through the end of the year. Um, if we look out prior to the three prior months to October or to uh, November, um, they were negative, and they were pretty negative. So it you know coming on the back of three negative months, November rebounded significantly, and again we've talked a lot about what rebounded, relatively speaking. And I think I think going in towards the end of this year, we're going to have a, a pretty good pop in uh, in equity markets. Um, again, depending on the context of your portfolio, you may participate more or less depending on on what you own. But I think it's going to be a bullish environment. And then in January, February, we might have to reassess uh, depending on what the economic data is telling us, because people might transition from worrying about yields to oh my goodness this is a slowing economy how what's this going to do to earnings mm -hmm. you know this is going to translate to earnings lower earnings could have a correction in the first first quarter of next year well we will be interested as always to uh, look for that and i i'm interested to see what the you know kind of what Black Monday, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. There we go. Um, Cyber Week, you know, as some retailers put it. Um, now I'm interested. I'll be interested to see what the numbers look like from that. Because um, we'll go, we'll go a little bit into retail here for a second, and then we'll wrap up. But the a lot of the Black Friday, quote unquote, Black Friday sales were actually not Black Friday sales, right? There was there was like not the traditional deep discounts that we've seen previously that, you know, caused people to buy extra, right? Or save all their shopping. Or a lot of people, you know, who traditionally do save a lot of their shopping till Black Friday were not actually experiencing savings um, that were more literally the same as, you know, like this is the Black Friday sale. Like it was the same yesterday. It didn't change. Um, you know, at retailers like Target and, um, yeah, other places where it was like 20% off versus 50 or 60% off type thing. So I'm wondering what kind of impact that will have on consumer spending as a whole, since that is kind of like the kickoff to a holiday spending season. Yeah, it's a great question. And we're going to have to wait to see what the data uh, implies, but it, it's not great. I mean, if you also notice not only was the, the price were the prices a little more firm in terms of the sales, but also they they drug forward Black Friday. They started to to say, "Hey, we we're doing it early this year. We're doing it and a couple of weeks early." So I, I think that loses its impact when you try to spread it out, and 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 they're trying to do that because. There's a lot of inventory and mm. when you have a lot of inventory, 
and you want to get rid of it, you try to do it at first by selling it at the same average selling price, but over a longer period of time. And then when you can't, if you still have a lot of that inventory getting closer to the holiday, you're going to start discounting those prices to get rid of it. Um, and that's what we have to we have to watch for because if they are able to sell at the higher prices, they they will do that, and that is indicative of really good consumer spending. But if you start to see as you get closer to the holiday, um, the Christmas holiday and New Year's, if you start to see a lot of discounts um, online or in your brick and mortar stores, that's probably indicative that the the holiday season hasn't been fantastic. And and maybe a, a cautionary tale for the economy in twenty four. Huh. Well, interesting. I feel like I feel like uh, we were more um, pessimistic this week <laughs> than usual. Also, which this is something I had to talk about with clients this week is we've converted to bad news is good news for the equity markets and the bond markets. Okay. Good news is now bad news. So, you know, less people having jobs is a bad deal if you're that person. But overall, for the equity markets, because they're forecasting out nine to 12 months in the future, they're saying, okay, higher unemployment means less inflation, which means lower interest rates, which means higher earnings. So, the equity markets go up based on that higher unemployment. So it's, again, bad news is now good news for equity market prices and vice versa, which is a, a weird connection. And a lot of investors have a difficult time with it. But you're right. It can be very pessimistic sounding, but your balance sheet can continue to appreciate based on that. Well, that's the that's the. Uh... The key there, right, is uh, not just seeing the data or hearing the data, but being able to actually interpret the data um, and make decisions based on where the market's going versus where it is right now or where it has been in the past. That's why we have jobs, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, excellent. Thank you, Brad, as always, for being here. Uh, and if anyone wants to get in touch, you know where to find us. You can email me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at ExpansiveCEO.com. If you have any questions that you would love for us to answer on the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can also visit um, my financial planning website at x2wealth.com, x the numeral 2 wealthcom to learn more about that. And Brad, where can people get a hold of you? You can get a hold of me either via LinkedIn or you can um, email me at uh, bhaines, B-H-A-I-N-E-S, at junctionwealth.com. I would also like to say that in about a week's, week's time, we're going to have our 2024 presentation that will have a narrative and charts and graphs that go into what we expect for 2024 from both the economy and the investment markets. And uh, if anybody wants a free copy, please please get a hold of us. We'd love to send it to you. 
So that is going to be a great report. I would, yeah, if you are at all interested, if you've listened to every Investment Friday because you're totally into it, and I know there are some of you, um, yeah, like email Brad and or email me and we'll we'll get you, um, we'll send that out to you. You can have that PDF of what Juncture is expecting um, for 2024. We'd love to share that with you and share Share the knowledge, share the strategies, all of that, so that you can you know be informed with us. Um, so yeah, I love that. Thank you, Brad. You're welcome. We will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and be sure to like and subscribe. And again, if anything resonated with you from this episode, I would love to hear from you. Email me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at ExpansiveCEO.com and tell me about it. And if you're ready for your greatest expansion, you can find ways to work with me at ExpansiveCEO.com and at XSquaredWealthPlanning.com. That's X, the numeral two, WealthPlanning.com. So until next time, remember that there is enough, you are enough, and your birthright in this lifetime is to be expansive.